0: Good afternoon, I'm Julie Davis, President of City Club of Portland, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to our State of the City program. As we begin this program, we want to acknowledge the land we are on is native and was stolen from people who lived here for thousands of years. Together, we recognize their unbreakable connection to this land and we honor their resilience and the hope of their ancestors and the hope of future generations. I want to thank the many people who made today's program possible, including producers, Bobby Regan, assistant producer, Leslie Johnson, City Club Communications Manager, Kayla Kennett, our American Sign Language interpreters, CM Hall and Tammy Richards, City of Portland communications staff, our moderator, Rekhaya Adams, and the entire Volunteer City Club Event Committee. Thank you to our community partners, Chevron, The Standard, Northwest Natural Gas, Kaiser Permanente, and Tonkin Torp. And also our supporting sponsors, Regents, and the Center for Women's Leadership. Thanks also to our media partners, X-Ray Radio and Open Signal. And now for our State of the City program. Our moderator for today's program was scheduled to be Rikaya Adams, chief investment officer at Meyer Memorial Trust, and a member of Meyer's executive team. Unfortunately, Rakaya has come down with COVID. She is very ill today and will not be able to join us. Instead. We plan to host a follow-up forum in the near future, which will include the conversation between Rakaya and the mayor, as well as the opportunity for the mayor to respond to audience questions. Until then, Rakaya asks that everyone remain vigilant and take precautions around COVID. In turn, we wish her a speedy recovery. The city of Portland is home to approximately 660,000 persons and is the 25th largest city in the nation. It is our honor today to host the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, as he delivers his State of the City speech. Ted Wheeler is the 53rd mayor of Portland, now serving in his second term. He oversees the Portland Police Bureau, the Bureau of Emergency Management, the Office of Management and Financial finance, the city budget office, the attorney, city attorney, and the office of Manage, of government relations. Prior to his role, Ted served as state treasurer from 2010 to 2016. He won his first elected office in t- 2007 becoming chair of the Multnomah County Commission. A graduate of Lincoln High School, he has an economics degree from Stanford an MBA from Columbia, and a master's in public policy from Harvard. Ted Wheeler will deliver the State of the City remarks, followed by a six minute video. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Good afternoon. I'm pleased to be here with you to deliver my annual 2022 State of the City Address. I want to start by wishing my good friend Rukaya Adams a speedy recovery, and I look forward to doing an event with her at a later time. I want to thank the City Club for hosting me this year, and I want to thank all of you who are tuning in to hear my vision for the future of Portland. Up front, I want to thank the City's great staff, and I also want to thank my wonderful City Council colleagues, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, Commissioner Mingus Maps. Commissioner Carmen Rubio, and Commissioner Dan Ryan, for your team efforts, your time, and your talent in service to this great city. A story published by The Atlantic Magazine asks, are cities dead? Around this time last year, our local television news team COIN asked a similar question, is Portland over? I understand why these questions are being asked of cities all across the nation, as well as right here at home. The pandemic exacerbated vulnerabilities that were already present in our community. Gun violence, homelessness, wealth disparity, racial inequity, and many other issues. Last week, COIN answered their own question, stating, is Portland over? No, signs of hope exist but there's a lot of work to do. I wholeheartedly agree. The state of our city does show signs of hope, but we do have a lot of hard work ahead. Part of that hard work will come later this year when Portlanders will have an opportunity to vote at the ballot box to do away with our current, systematically bigoted, red tape-ridden, antiquated form of city government. I hope Portlanders will vote yes this November to change it. However, I'm not gonna wait a year or longer for a more functional form of city government to be put in place. The lives and livelihoods of Portlanders are at risk right now, and I can't wait to act. Where and when I legally can, I'm taking action to change and improve our city right now. Today in these urgent times, I'll describe how my proposed fiscal year budget along with my emergency declarations and other city program improvements, get off the horse and buggy, inherently ineffective form of city government, cut red tape, and break down silos to better achieve real, tangible outcomes on community safety, homelessness, cleaning our city up, creating jobs that come from successful local businesses. Earlier this week, I released my proposed 2022-23 fiscal year budget. You can log on to www.portlandoregon.gov wheeler to see all the details. In a snapshot, it invests over $85 million, a record amount, into homelessness services to get as many people off the streets as quickly and humanely as possible and it includes strategies to preserve and grow our affordable housing stock all across the city. And in a minute, I'm going to propose a much needed new push to fight gentrification and displacement. It continues our efforts to refocus, reform, and restaff our community safety response by strengthening our diverse network of crisis prevention and intervention tools. Also, a little later, I'll discuss how mental illness and drug addiction is costing too many Portlanders their lives and prolonging homelessness and fueling crime in our community. It improves livability by building connections between city bureaus and community groups to provide coordinated trash cleanup and group abatement in neighborhoods and business districts all across the city of Portland. And it supports economic recovery and the promotion of small business with a heightened focus on minority-owned emerging businesses. I've called my budget a budget with ears. These immediate, actionable investments address our most urgent problems, what Portlanders rightly demand while also seeking to move forward on our goals for equity, a cleaner environment and better basic city services. To improve community safety, this week, as part of my plan to refocus, reform, and restaff, I've announced improvements and new investments in our crisis prevention and intervention programs. To refocus a better city response to mental health-related 911 calls, In both our spring budget process, called the Spring Bump, and in my proposed annual budget, I expanded Portland Street Response Services to become citywide and operate 24 hours, seven days a week. This program refocuses how we respond to emergency 911 calls for Portlanders suffering from mental health crises by sending trained medical health experts, mental health experts, rather than armed police as a default first response. In my effort to reform community safety in Portland, using existing resources, we created the Focused Intervention Team, also known as The Fit. These are highly skilled officers and they're trained to intervene and respond to gun violence and crime in Portland. This team launched only about three months ago but it's already completed 291 offense reports, 176 arrests, and the seizure of 49 guns. The FIT also assists internal and external federal partners in high-risk homicide arrests and has received additional training in legal updates, investigative training related to gun violence, DNA swabbing, and much more. The FIT is an example of my new community-led policing model, and it receives guidance from a community oversight group who assisted in the selection process of all FIT officers. The community oversight group also meets with the FIT weekly to ensure community values are reflected in the FIT's actions. I'll be looking for opportunities to expand the FIT model to other functions within within the police bureau, like crowd management. True reform is driven by accountability. Portland is the last big city in America to not require public safety officials to wear body-worn cameras. My colleagues on the city council and I are working to change that, and we're well underway field testing different options to decide which technology is best for the city of Portland. Last, given our 28-year staffing low in police officers per capita, I remain committed to restaff the Portland Police Bureau. I've taken creative approaches to add new staff and to ensure that we're retaining the best police officers currently serving the city. Interest in the newly retooled retire rehire program I announced last fall is now in the double digits. Recruiting for new police officers and staff, which was put on pause during the pandemic, has seen an increase in applicants ready to step into the role. I'll be calling on our state leadership this year to offer more training academy opportunities to help address the backlog of police officers who are ready to begin their training to serve our community right now. In addition, we're developing ways to expand the use of unarmed staff to improve public safety, especially in relation to property crime, by expanding the Police Bureau's Unarmed Public Safety Support Specialist Program, known as PS3s, to three times its current size. A recent independent evaluation found that a PS3 officer can save four and a half hours of patrol officer time per shift. This in turn, allows sworn officers to focus on dealing with the more pressing and dangerous criminal activity taking place on our streets. I want to thank my colleagues on the City Council for supporting the expansion of the PS3 Police Bureau program. And finally, my team and I are always evaluating what is working and what can we improve upon. That's why today, right now, I'm proposing to my colleagues on the Portland City Council to move the city's Crime Prevention Program, which is currently in the Office of Community and Civic Life, as well as the Office of Violence Prevention, which is currently within my own office, to the new Community Safety Division. The potential combinations and synergies between a co-located Crime Prevention and Gun Violence Prevention Program is obvious. Through refocusing, reforming, and restaffing community safety in Portland, we're making great strides towards making our city safer, more transparent, accountable, and ready to take on the severity of today's problems. Next, I'd like to discuss the issue that consistently ranks as the highest priority from our community members. Portlanders reach out to my office every single day to express their concern and frustration around homelessness and how the city manages this challenge. The recent point-in-time count for Multnomah County found that the number of outside homeless have risen 50% since the last count in 2019, to over 3,000 unsheltered homeless individuals in the Portland area. This increased number paints a stark picture of the reality that we're facing. In February, with COVID-19 rates and hospitalizations declining, I began issuing a series of emergency declarations focused on homelessness, which are already showing positive results. My emergency orders streamlined existing city efforts, which allowed us to triple the number of dangerous campsite removals. We're now removing over 30 campsites per week. These efforts aren't just about removing camps though. A recent study from The Oregonian found that 93% of Portlanders experiencing homelessness had never even been offered social services. To improve this, I established the Street Services Coordination Center via emergency declaration on March, 7th, March 2nd of this year to focus on improving and centralizing homeless service. But that's not enough. Today, right now, I'm announcing my next emergency declaration, which I'll sign next week, which will streamline the city's work and accountability for cleaning up our city, dealing with the trash, the graffiti, the illegal dumping, abandoned cars, and much more. It focuses on cleanup work apart from and outside of occupied outdoor homeless camps. This is just common sense. It puts one centralized command structure, over 20 different city programs and eight different bureaus which are currently managed by five different members of the Portland City Council. Again, this is common sense. In the weeks ahead, I'll continue to issue more emergency declarations focused on improving critical city services, including reducing gun violence and other crimes. These emergency declarations work together with my proposed budget to propel the investments I spoke of earlier today. We work to address the present impacts of homelessness to get as many people off the streets as quickly and as humanely as we can. We also need to peel back the curtain and explore the root causes of the issue. The rising costs of urban housing and the gentrification and the displacement that it fuels in Portland and other larger American cities means, as an economist recently said, that quote, America's big cities could be headed for a period of urban struggle," unquote. Today, I'm offering a community invitation to join us as we build a plan to fight back at out-of-control gentrification and displacement fueled by sky-high housing costs. Like many American cities, especially those on the West Coast, the housing inequities and the gentrification we see today are byproducts of decades of disinvestment and disenfranchisement. Portland's rapidly increasing housing costs are fueling that gentrification and resulting displacement, impacting Portlanders of all income levels, but hitting Portland's Black, Indigenous, and residents of colour the hardest. Real progress to create and preserve affordable housing requires us to think innovatively and develop an affordable housing plan at scale. Maybe it's the wonk in me, but I wanna give you some numbers to illustrate what I mean by fighting housing gentrification and displacement at scale. These are rough internal estimates of the problem. I want you to remember the following number, 20,487. 20,487 is Portland's current estimated affordable housing gap. Despite our historic level of investments over the last few years to build more affordable housing, there's still a gap of 20,487 households who are at risk of not being able to afford to live or stay here. Amongst Portland's neighborhoods, East Portland alone needs an estimated 8,000 additional affordable housing units, representing over one-third of the total need in Portland. I want you to remember another number, $6.5 billion. Again, $6.5 billion. That's the estimated amount of funds that we need to raise from public, nonprofit, and private funders to close Portland's affordable housing unit gap, most of it will obviously need to come from the private sector as match with government and nonprofit funds. One of the most important but overlooked investments in my proposed budget seeks to begin the work to prepare a multi-agency, public, nonprofit, and privately funded action plan at scale for Portland to start to address this massive gap This affordable housing push must go hand in hand with efforts to help grow the number of locally owned small businesses, to create more jobs that pay a living wage, and to expand access to skills training and career pathways for all Portlanders, particularly those who've been historically left behind by our economy. This is a very tough issue. It's obviously influenced by global, national, regional, and statewide factors, many of which are out of the city's direct control. However, Portland has taken on and succeeded at many other nearly impossible issues. Affordability must be Portland's next moonshot. Speaking of -of out-of-control issues that are a punch in the face to our city government and which can ruin lives, mental illness and substance abuse disorder or drug addiction. The final issue I'll bring forth today is a humble but frankly desperate plea to our state government health authority. Make mental health program reform a top priority in next year's state legislative session. A top priority. Fentanyl-related deaths alone are up 108% in the last three years, and frankly, they're still rising out of control. And Oregon consistently ranks at the bottom of most lists based on the rates of mental health problems compared to access to care. In fact, the recent ranking put the quality of Oregon's mental health system at 49th out of 51. Forgive me for this gruesome statistic, but Portlanders need to know the deadly reality of this issue. Locally, more people died from drug-related issues than were killed by gun violence and auto crashes combined. Portlanders experiencing outdoor homelessness experience mental health and drug abuse issues. Then they become very tough at that point. It's challenging to bring them in from the rain, the heat and the squalor. It's concerning for all of us when we encounter someone on our streets suffering and so clearly detached from their surroundings and from reality. It's clear that we must do more to support those experiencing mental health crises in our city. Within the coming weeks, I will be co-convening a series of public dialogues with Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori and state legislators state legislators who are already working on these important issues to focus support on needed mental health and substance abuse reforms during the 2023 state legislative session. As we collaborate with county and state legislators on this issue at next year's state legislative session to state government health authority, we're asking you with urgency to release the delayed $265 million that voters approved in 2020 through Measure 110 to expand access to low- and no-cost drug treatment. In closing, I want to express my deep gratitude to City staff and to my City Council colleagues. I also want to thank the many volunteers, businesses, government employees, and our amazing local nonprofits Thanks to all of you Portlanders who helped to get us to this point of a newborn and fragile movement towards recovery. We are making progress, but we have so much more work to do. And we're making the investments combined with common sense leadership actions to do it. Together, we're beginning to bring back the parts of Portland that we love so much. And together, we will change the things that need to be changed. The Atlantic article that I referenced at the beginning that asked "Are cities dead wasn't published within the last year or even the last decade. It was published in January of 1962. It serves as a reminder of two important urban lessons, one to accept that the only city constant is change. And that a city must be clear eyed about where its trends are headed and fight back at scale when needed. Two, the Our City's Dead article was written by the very misguided, pave it over with a freeway, New York City planner Robert Moses. And that should remind us that as we act, we must openly look at all options and question all so called truths in order to take the correct actions. I will end with a reminder of why Portland is worth fighting for. While Portland the place is worth fighting for, what is most important is to remember is that it can only happen if Portland's people are taken care of. And no matter what station in life, that we offer an equal opportunity for each Portlander to rise. This is what I mean.
2: They charged me with, um, with second-degree robbery for it, which turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I had time to get my, my life together. <coughs> the uh, driver's diversity training program that I went through uh, to get your commercial driver's license, um, it was mainly focused on um, the, the haulers of Oregon, you know, Picking up, picking up garbage, recycling, and, and stuff of that nature, and it, it was, it was. I loved it. You know, everybody in the program. At 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 some point, you know, we became a family. <laughs> I've never had a job in my life where I wake up in the morning. And I actually look forward to coming to work. My name is Richard Holmes. I graduated from the Drivers Diversity Program, July of 2020. And since July, 2020, I've been working with Portland Disposal and Recycling. And this is about my 10th month right now. I'll be here till 2031. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
3: we have a bike program where they can sign out a bike for the day if they're in reentry. One of my favorite things about working here is looking across the desk and seeing myself sitting there. Remembering that moment for myself. It keeps us fresh, it keeps us real. It um, keeps your heart tender, and that's what I think makes the difference between somebody with lived experience and somebody not with lived experience. You've got to experience it to know it. We will feed you. We will clothe you. You will have a hot shower, and you'll have a warm bed, and that's the golden ticket. Nobody wants you to look at them and think, oh, poor man, or oh, my God, what is wrong with him? Nobody wants that kind of life. Not just to find them housing, but follow through with them. You know, give them a plan. See, this is this is what you need to do this week. Life is about moving forward. You can't be stagnant. You can't go backwards. Life is about moving forward. So this this is how you, This is your first baby step. Here it is, right here.
4: I love what I do. So here I am. That's when I got introduced into the public safety, and it was so so new because I believe they started. 2019 of June around June 2019 and I started November so I was one of the I guess first 10 or first group which was great because it was like well you could do this this is gonna be a stepping stone for like officer
2: Six, five
4: one, I'm on scene with. as a minority I speak Spanish I give that voice to the Spanish speakers which is I love it like I get called all the time hey can you translate I'm here. At times we are social workers, definitely. Advocates for different type of issues. Even in civil calls, you know that it's not a police matter, right? But you're still going to that person and say, and explaining, giving, giving the resources, guiding them to the court.
5: My family and a lot of customers and friends discouraged me from reopening the Broadway store. And I said, absolutely not. This is a flagship store in the heart of Portland and it's been here for a long time and it's gonna reopen and it's gonna be a process and I know I'm gonna get the city support and I am. In May of 2020, uh, we, uh, during the riots, uh, we got broken into uh, and uh, every single showcase in the store was broken and damaged. I love Portland. I wanna, I I know Portland is gonna come back better than before. I want Portland to be where where it was, if not better. And I know for a fact, Portlanders love Portland, they're gonna make it happen.
2: And I think Portland is now starting to reemerge. There's more people coming into the downtown area, people are coming back to work. Um, So that's really encouraging. And we wanna make sure as a police bureau, we're doing everything we can to keep this area and other areas of the city safe. So people can traverse the city safely and come enjoy themselves um, in Portland. During the pandemic in particular, trash really started to pick up, pile up places. And we were looking for ways to really uh, re-energize the environment and clean things up and be proactive and not just complain about the situation. I help lead cleanups on 82nd Avenue. I also work with um, the Montevilla neighborhood and do cleanups with the business association, churches, anyone who really wants uh, to get involved in the community and make a difference.
6: We're on the verge of moving from a medium-sized community to a big city. And with that comes huge opportunities, but with that also comes big city problems. And we're facing uh, a set of challenges that big cities faced decades ago, and, and some are still challenged with those problems. I don't think there's any question that we can do better, and I think the mayor has a vision for how we can jumpstart that process. And be able to deliver better for Portlanders.
2: Place that is, you know, do things, get involved with things in the community, you know, get involved with different programs, you know, that are that are positive.
6: So
3: everybody can spare a little kindness. I think everybody deserves that.
6: I am so optimistic. Uh, first of all, you have to be in this business, um, but um, again, back the place, the people. Um, the, the passion that people bring to this place. We're so connected to it that I don't think there's a problem we can't solve.
2: Portland is a great city. Um, it's our city, it's a city we live and work in and uh, recreate, we want people to be able to come here, raise their families, enjoy themselves. I meet tons of people who are new to town and they come to Solve Cleanup specifically to meet new people do something for this community that they're joining and really get their hands inside of what makes Portland, Portland.
5: Portlanders are resilient. We are resilient, we love this city and we all wanna see it flourish again. And it's happening, I see it, I'm very optimistic.
0: This concludes our program. Thank you Mayor Wheeler for a very informed Informative State of City presentation. And thank you all for listening. As we mentioned at the start of today's program, our moderator for this event, Rakaya Adams, has come down with COVID and is not able to join us today. We wish her a speedy recovery. And we also wanna let you know, we are going to have a future forum um, and hope that you can join us. She will be our host. Um, Rakaya and the mayor, as well as, will have the opportunity for, to have their discussion, as well as for the mayor to respond to audience questions. In the meantime, we hope you have. We have an election coming up on Tuesday, May seventeenth. We encourage each and every one of you to participate in our democratic process and to cast your vote. With that, we wish you a great day. Thank you.